Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. I'm your host, Philip Van Dusen. And today I'm really excited because I am here with Laura Perriman. And Laura is the owner of Laura Perriman Creative. She shot over 400 brand photography sessions for ambitious entrepreneurs and influencers all across the globe. She also offers creative direction and brand strategy services to help businesses turn up the volume on their businesses. She's also the host of Moi TV, which is a YouTube channel dedicated to sharing inspiration and client stories and tips on how to get more creative with your business. She lives as a vintage pinup and a proud feminist and lives in Tyne and Ware, England with the Viking, and we'll get the story on that, and her cat, <laughs> Suki. So with that, I welcome Laura. Hey, it's amazing to be here. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Philip. So we have to tell everybody how we originally met. We were at a conference. We were both at a conference in England. And that's right. Uh, I think either I approached you or you approached me. And I was just like totally blown away by your red hair and the whole vintage pinup thing. So share everybody <laughs> about the living as a vintage pinup just a little bit. Okay, so I think I kind of came out the womb like an 80-year-old soul. Like, I am just an old soul, and, I, you know, I love black and white movies, the whole vintage glam, that whole thing. And I feel like, you know, the, the aesthetic of today is all about being, um, like, streamlined and stripped back. And for me, I, I like to live a life of, like, more is more. So when it comes to glamour, why not add the lashes? And why not add more backcombing? And why not, add, like, more is more? So one thing I am trying to perfect, though, and I was actually in a conversation with a stylist about this last week, how to do the casual lockdown version of the pin-up glam. And I think it might involve, like, a series of house coats or, like, Posh dressing yes. gowns. Yeah, and you, but you can't get the fuzzy slippers in there. You're going to have to find a way to put your feet up so the fuzzy slippers yes. will show in the Zoom video, right? Exactly. I will figure it out, though. So why don't you just uh, give all of our listeners and, and viewers on YouTube a little bit of um, insight into into your business? Sure. Well, I've been going now for nine years, and I, I think when you look at it in that meta way, I think my journey has been a lot of ad adapting continually and resilience. So I originally set out and I thought, right, I'm going to have a portraiture studio and I'm going to be a photographer who does portraiture related services. That was where I had cut my teeth after getting my photography degree. I quickly... Um, found that marketing to seven different types of avatar is not a sustainable way to run a business when you're a solopreneur. And I, I quickly burnt out. Then I thought, yeah, okay, well, I'll niche down to like three services. So did that and it still didn't really work. And then somebody gave me some feedback they came in for some headshots and they were blown away with how much I knew about the way that they were marketing their business and the way that they wanted to develop their brand. And I was like, well, yeah, I, I have a whole degree in marketing and public relations. And I did this before I did photography. And in that moment, I realized, ah, fuse the two together, Laura. That makes sense. So then I went full throttle on doing branded headshots, which is now commonly known as brand photography evolved that into an international business. So I was working for people who 
are building their influence, people who might describe themselves as entrepreneurial influencers, people who do speaking, that people like you, Philip. So I was following people like you around the world, doing pictures of them at different types of conferences or situated in different cool cities as a way to help round out the visual aspect of how they were communicating their brand. And then lockdown hit us. Um, so I wasn't able to get on a plane with my camera and carry on doing what I was doing. And I thought, okay, what have I been doing in addition to the photography? So people would give me this feedback. It's so much more than just a photo shoot when we work with you, Laura. So I kind of, I've been investigating that. What exactly did you mean when you said that to me? And as serendipity would, you know, waves its magic wand sometimes for us, you were releasing your brand strategy 101 course at the same time I was having those conversations. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to investigate this a little bit and see if what I have been doing, it feels like brand strategy, but let's just see if it is. And it was like going straight back to university circa 2000 in marketing lessons. And I, I've really figured out that, yes, that bit that I did, that consultancy bit that I did to inform all of the brand photo shoots that I've been doing all the year, all these years is actually creative direction and brand strategy. And now I'm going about trying to deliver this as a standalone service with the option to add photography. It's not a um, prerequisite anymore. So I feel like my business has exploded really as a result of lockdown. But that the, the, the theme going through all of these things is adapting, 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 and trying to be resilient at every set step of the way. I think that is brilliant, number one, because that is what the creative economy requires of all of us <laughs> as creative professionals, for sure. And lockdown has you know, pushed that into our laps. And so many people have had to adapt, particularly people who are really you know, reliant on international travel like yourself. So yeah. do you have, as you've introduced you know, brand strategy and creative director, direction into your business, um, with photography as an option, do you, are you actually doing a creative deliverable in that or is that more of an intellectual deliverable in how you're working, doing strategy with your clients? The way that I'm, I'm kind of following the way that you've taught us in the brand strategy 101. So the creative deliverable from the client facing end is they get to experience these amazing workshops. And the way that I've been kind of trying it out is saying, look, you can be as involved or as high level with this as you want. And some clients want to show up to a workshop, get the headlines, be told what you think they should do, and then they do it, which is obviously amazing when you're a creative supplier. Um, or some people really want to get involved and they want to immerse themselves and feel like they're learning with you. So it becomes more like an experience, which is something that I'm very familiar with. You know, when you do a photo shoot, it's not just showing up on shoot day and having me tell you how to hold your face. It's a whole experience from the way that we introduce you into what it feels like to plan a photo shoot to, you know, grading different locations when we're doing the scouting. So I feel very attuned to providing a service that is a service when we talk about it as creative entrepreneurs. But when you're talking in a client facing way, you're taking them on a full experience. It's a journey that they go through with you. So when you did, when you were doing, uh, you know, photo shoots with clients, I find that really interesting that you're, you were approaching your photography services almost like a branding experience. And so I know that exactly. there's other photographers or who are listening and watching uh, 
listening to the podcast and watching this on YouTube, talk a little bit about how, you know, how you did that as a photographer, how you built in a deeper level of experience or exploration into your clients' brands to really deliver for them what they were looking for. So I always used to start every um, planning session with my two questions, who the hell are you and where the hell are you going? And that would be a great way to start off a conversation to find out why they think that photography is right for them right now. Um, And now as a brand strategist, I'm more equipped to be able to say, yeah, that's a great idea, but actually there's all this other stuff that we should be doing first. But when, when you're coming at it from a photography point of view, understanding exactly what the client understands so that you can then plug the gaps. My idea was really from a sales point of view. Like if I can create as many brand advocates who would advocate me and say, wow, you know, I did this photo shoot with Laura and my God, she involved me in all these cool things. Like, I got to have a pre-meeting with the makeup artist and I learned that I needed this new shampoo if I wanted my hair to be more voluminous on day and I went to do a shopping experience with the stylist like if I could get people talking about that more then it was a way for me to prove through them as advocates why I charge a premium price Mm. and why I am much better than the can the, the standard like show up shoot download like three bajillion images on a CD and see you later. So the idea was if I educate them, they're going to educate other people and that's going to, in theory, make more sales for me. But I'm also... I think my nature, I am just quite an open person. Like I want to explain to somebody, this is how I've done it. And this is why I've done it. As opposed to saying, we're going to show up on this beach at this time to do your images. I want to say, well, look, we could do that, but we've looked at this and we've looked at this and I've ruled out that. I want to really explain my process to people. And I think I would have a hard time not doing that. It comes natural to me. And I know a lot of creatives are not like me. I know I'm like the odd man out with this. They kind of, a lot of creatives, when I've worked with them, they like to be given a task, given a due date. Okay, I'll go off and I'll beaver away. And if that involves toiling into the wee hours of the night, that's fine. But they're not going to tell anyone about it. Whereas I'm the kind of girl I'll be like, well, you know, we workshop this till 5 a.m. for you. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> it's just, it's my nature, I think. Well, I think that that's one of your, from what I know about you, that's one of your superpowers because you are um, very conversational. You have really good soft skills, you know, and you are super articulate when you're, when you're speaking. And I was actually doing a podcast with Michael Janda, who's a, um, a creative director yesterday. And we were talking about the importance of soft skills in designers and how many designers don't realize how critical soft skills are when you're working with clients. And I think your point is super well taken when you were talking about a lot of creatives don't like the education process. They actually see it as a burden. And, you know, they're saying, oh, I spend so much time telling my clients what I'm doing and explaining what I'm doing. And what I try to explain to people is that that's where your value is actually lying. And that's where you build the relationship and the trust with the client. If you do everything in a black box, they don't learn and they don't value what it is that you're doing so much. And so I was trying to think about how you have gotten traction very quickly in doing brand strategy coming out of that course. But now it it makes sense to me because to a certain extent, you were really doing it in your photography business and now you're just implementing it in a different way. But you still, but you value that education, which is why I think that you're 
that that transition has been pretty seamless for you, it sounds like. Yeah, that's interesting feedback. And it does make sense when you put it like that. Yeah, I, I've kind of just gone up. It's from one experience to another experience. But that makes sense. Yeah. I think there's also it's also worth saying or talking about the fear factor with being educational. Like we are very um, fearful, I think, as creatives. You know, if you're going to start talking about how you did location scouting, like sitting on Google Maps for three days trying to find the right angle of light, you think, oh, no, I've given away all my secrets to my clients. So that means that they're just going to go off and do it. Uh, that was something I've struggled with at different stages of my career, but it's absolutely not the case because they understand, oh, that's why it takes three hours to do. And I'm not going to do that. Hell no, I can't be bothered to do that. She did all that for me. So there's the, that element, I think, that I think is another component to why people avoid telling their clients everything that they've done. The other part of it as well is content creation. So I love content creation and breaking it down with that in mind. So thinking, what do, what do I want the YouTube episode to look like when somebody sees, here's the photos? It's not just, here's the photos and this is the client doing a little wave saying hi. We tell the full story. So I like to document all of the stages of that. So it's an element of right what I want the public to know, what I want the client to know about each stage and how that becomes an overall like show and presentation. So as you've been building your personal brand, talk a little bit about where you've chosen to develop content, where you've chosen to show up, what you're putting your back into in terms of focus and and uh, and what that process was like in terms of getting into the content game, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So I started out, I'm, I'm a natural chatterbox and a social butterfly, like a typical Gemini, that's me. And I thought, okay, so I'll just be omnipresent everywhere. And I'll do all these different strategies. So I had a Pinterest strategy, I had a LinkedIn strategy, and just like the same mistake with trying to have seven marketing plans for seven avatars, back in the days of my portraiture studio, I realized, yeah, this isn't gonna work, I need to streamline this down. And so many people, you know, I, I have a whole podcast in my mind, a whole creative scope for what I want a podcast to sound like. But so many people said, Laura, you need to go on video, like with your look um, and your presence in person, just do video. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. And I then took that omnipresent, like showing up 5% on every platform into what I describe as a pyramid. So the top of the pyramid is the YouTube channel. We put all of our effort and the majority of the time as well as money investment into creating that. And then everything kind of comes down from that. So we we repurpose bits of it. We we drive traffic to the top of the pyramid. That's the goal now. And that, that focus has really helped me. However, I will be totally transparent. It's a long game. Like we've had this conversation, you and I, off the record. It takes so much effort and energy. And I'm at the point now where I've gone from putting out a weekly episode on my YouTube channel. We're going into season five of the show and we're actually dropping it down to every other week with the idea that we're going to. So the social platforms that we have, the next in importance is Instagram. So we're going to use some of the time that we've saved from putting out an episode every week to increasing how many Instagram reels we create because reels is starting to take off. And then I'm playing around with repurposing those reels onto TikTok. 
Um, by the way, also getting addicted to TikTok. <laughs> Inadvertently, I thought I'm never going to get this. And then a week later, I'm like, oh, I'll just have a look on TikTok. <laughs> but it's a great way to repurpose reels is the overall point. So that's the way that it's kind of progressed and changed. The other thing to note is we repurposed the episode into a blog. So there's a blog that goes on that's fully optimized. Um, and it's basically just the script of the episode. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top-tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit byol.me forward slash Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's byol.me forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. Talk a little bit about sharing what it is that you do on your YouTube channel. What is it that you share? And talk maybe about the concept of Moi TV. Okay, so as a little girl, me and my sister would often do like make-believe, pretend play, like all children do. And one of the things that we loved to do was be TV presenters. We grew up in the 80s where all TV presenters, like daytime TV presenters, would be women with big shoulder pads and huge hair. So we found that really funny and we dress up, like put my mum's wigs on and be TV show presenters. And obviously because I'm the big sister, I was in charge. So I was the director. I was telling my sister what to do and she would do what I said in the main. <laughs> so there is like a, a childish fun with that. And I know I knew going into this, I needed to have some sort of a creative impetus behind this because I would get bored quickly otherwise. So I've tried to pull different ideas from different styles of television into moi tv i think there is so many people are creating what they think has to be created when they're doing content creation instead of just trying to be a little bit original so we have one segment on the show where we have guests and it's not just your typical guest um, expert appearance. We call them cocktail correspondents and it's like they're a correspondent tuning in from afar to give the skinny on some gossip. But we make them pick a cocktail. So we have an element of a cooking show in there and we do, um, you know, I show you how you make the cocktail and then we get into a back and forth conversation. So that's me kind of indulging myself with my fascination with Nigella Lawson. And then we have... Um, I'm often a fool and I'm an idiot and I use lots of silly props on the show. Like I suppose that's akin to like children's TV where you, you have like silly things. So I'm always making a fool of myself because that's how I feel. I find learning is much better when you can laugh and learn as opposed to just being told very seriously, this is way, the way it is. If it's entertaining to me, then I absorb it. So I'm going on the theory that if I do that for you, the watcher, you're going to get what I'm talking about. Because the technical elements of photography and certainly brand strategy and understanding what creative direction even is, is very hard. And I think if you can make it a fun 
thing to absorb, it's going to get much more into the gray matter of the brain. So we have a lot of tips and advice episodes. And then the what we've already touched on today, the if I'm working with clients, I fully document that as well. So if mm. we have an episode where we're kind of doing a showcase, we would call it, so a photo shoot showcase, I make sure that all of the people on the crew are documenting all of the time. So if the stylist is in a shop ordering a certain blazer I want her to at least get a selfie if not document her talking to the shop assistant getting that and then we cut all of that footage together into this like reality show that is the photo shoot so the client comes away with this great experience to show what effort they're putting in in their business but it's also documenting and highlighting the skills of all of the people and the other suppliers that we've hired right now i'm working with case studies and i'm planning on doing a certain type of showcase but for just brand strategy and the idea with that is i have clients creating a diary cam so i want them kind of shooting really rough footage of them like sitting in a car or being in an office going okay I've just come off a call with Laura. I don't know what the hell she was talking about or, oh my God, my mind's just being blown. So they're going to, they're, they're recording their experience, but I'm directing what that is. So I'm giving them like a mad libs, lids script of what they need to give to me and when they need to give it to me with the idea that we gather all this footage. And then when we're ready to show off the final brand book, we've got everything to cut together. So you were talking a little bit about, well, number one, it's totally impressive. Like Mont TV is completely <laughs> impressive because you put a lot of energy in the production value of that. And it's got a lot of personality. And I think that there's two things that I wanted to touch on. One is your website and your interest in music and that theme. And the yes. other is, and we'll start with this one, is the you know the rough footage aspect. The fact you, you include a lot of bloopers in your YouTube channel. <laughs> yes. yeah. And yeah. we all know as YouTubers <laughs> that we screw up a lot when we're filming and no one ever sees all that raw, terrible stuff that sits on the cutting room floor, but you put a lot of it in your videos. And so talk about why you do that a little bit. So I was really, I am a perfectionist and I was like, you know, I'll often swear at myself or I'll make stupid mistakes. So like the cat will walk in and just like walk behind me when I'm, you know what it's like recording video. And my video editor every week would say to me on Slack, like Laura, that was hysterical when that happened or, um, you know, and I, I was like, so do you think we should be using this? And she was like, yeah, like I have at least 20 minutes of blooper reel footage that I think this was from season three when we first started working together and we tested it out. We put out a whole episode of just me messing up. It was like one. a 10 minute episode and I it performed it so well. The analytics on that were insane. And I thought, yeah, I'm missing a real trick here. We need to have a blooper segment in the show. So we now the like the episode that I make the bloopers actually goes in we have a bloopers um piece to it and we put it we're experimenting with where we put it so sometimes we put it at the beginning sometimes we do like a little um half halfway point and sometimes at the end um I the jury's out on that I have to report back to you when we've got some hard data on where it where it sits but it's I think it makes you more endearing you realize that you're you know this person that I'm watching is just a regular person that, that makes me feel like, yeah, I can approach you now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and authenticity is everything. As we get, as more and more people become, you know, go into media, 
differentiation is a problem and you are you are you and so the more you you can be the more differentiated <laughs> you end up you can you can more easily be because a lot of the you know a lot of the services and offerings that creative pros have are similar so how do you differentiate and so i think that you've been really brilliant at that and so and it's how you're dialing in the you into your own brand right and so yeah. you have a, even in the introduction bio that you sent me, it said, turn up the volume on your business. So you have a musical theme on your website that's kind of rock and roll, right? And so talk a little bit about why you chose that theme and, and, um, and what it means for your business. So I'll, I'll talk about, I have five different themes and those are the five themes of my personal brand. And the reason I went with that um, strategy when it comes to developing a personal brand is because there are certain topics that are off the table for me. I don't want to be online talking about politics. I don't want to talk about religion. I am never going to talk about sport. That's incredibly divisive, especially with the football here in the UK. Um, and also my relationships. I've been, I'm in a long-term happy relationship but my partner really doesn't like social media. And, you know, from day one said, like, I'm not going to be like a Kardashian assistant here in your business. Like it ain't happening. So there were, there's all this list of things that I am uncomfortable about being open about. Hmm. And I'm sure everyone out there has, you know, their own list. So I, I've been very, um, I'm trying to think of, I've constructed my personal brand in a very deliberate way. And that is interesting because it kind of comes up against this sense of authenticity, right? You're like, well, hang on a minute. She's engineering who she is. Is that really authentic? So it's an interesting debate and I don't have the answer to it. You know, I'm happy to discuss it, but I have five themes. So I have the theme of cocktails and the theme of cocktails in my business is all about that more is more that I talked about earlier on and a joie de vivre and the idea of fusing different things together. This is a big part of my creativity. And I like to sum that up with a cocktail. And yes, I also like drinking cocktails, but it's more than just getting tipsy on a cocktail. So that's a whole theme. Then we have the theme of music. Music is really important to me from a creative point of view. I love most genres of music. Um, and I, I, I like to articulate what I'm doing with musical descriptions. People understand what it means if I say, so are you the lead singer of your band in your business? They understand that much easier than if I was to say, are you the figurehead? And is there a personal brand element to your strategy? They'd be like, what? So the, the, the music thing is like the articulation. And um, I have Suki the cat. So she's the most belligerent employee known to man. She just <laughs> throws me shade all day and I love it. <laughs> it's like a sick relationship. But Suki the cat features way more on my um, social media than my relationship ever would. So Suki kind of takes place there. And um, we have traveling, which is kind of, up in the air right now because I haven't done a lot of traveling, but traveling's big for me. Um, and feminism as well, being an advocate for young girls and passionate about women as leaders. It's like that's the only political element of my themes. Um, but I have all of those mixed in. But the musical theme, to go back to your question, is very much about articulation. And I think it's fair to say that there is an element of repelling quality about that. If somebody is not able 
to tell me that they enjoy music, we're going to have a problem like on a personal level. If you don't love a piece of music or you describe yourself as, yeah, you know, I just listen to the radio. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to have a hard time getting on with you or you're going to have a hard time getting on with me. Like I love to talk about, you know, really important albums and albums are important to me or the soundtrack on a movie is like worth a good 10 minute debate to me and if we're not going to gel in that way then maybe we shouldn't work together (laughs) so there's an element of me kind of pushing people away in that um it's something we're testing out but i think it's a great way the main point is to articulate something very technical you could you could also call it qualifying your client. I mean, to a certain yeah. extent, right? Because you got to figure out whether they're going to be a good gel for you. I mean, one of the things I discovered in my YouTube videos very early on, I experimented with having you know low level background music in my videos, and I did like I don't know four or five of them, and it was like overnight all of the comments about genre entered into the comments. It was like, oh man, that music that you know, electronic music is so lame or, you know, that jazz sounds like I'm in an elevator, you know, just all sorts (laughs) of really negative things. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is like a serious hot button when it comes to music. Like it's music is very, very divisive because people love certain things and they hate certain things. And so I very quickly just stopped the music. I was just like, nope, stop the music. (laughs) I don't want to drive anyone away because of their taste of music. But so that's very interesting that you actually use it as a qualifying element to a certain extent in your business. And uh, on the show, in terms of styling, this is something that I think is going to be huge in like 18 months time. And we're already talking about it in the creative space, but the idea of sonic branding or Mm. our role branding. So I have really leaned into the vintage, like British seaside vibe. So if you listen to the beginning intro or outro of my show, it's like the, like a Brighton Pier kind of um, Hammond, uh, what's the word? Hammond organ. Like it's really leaning into that. Um, But it's got like the idea of like a 50s party. So we're kind of, it's really cheesy, but it's really, really intentional. And it kind of, my point with it is this is setting the tone, but it's going to come here and then leave. If you personally, I mean, I don't know why anyone would hate that music, Maybe they will. Maybe I'll have comments eventually, Philip. It'll be interesting to see. But I th- I think, you know, you can select it just like you would pick a certain set of ingredients for a cocktail. I think people are very unaware of when they're selecting sound or sound effects. It's, it's a thing in branding that we're not talking about enough. And I think it's going to be on trend as the podcast revolution continues to explode. And sound design, because people need to design sounds that are unique or at least memorable, um, is also, I think, coming to the fore. I think you're totally right on that. And I've used the same, I'm a musician as well, and I wrote the music that's actually the seven second intro and outro in all of my videos. And I've used the same clip for over 250 videos and I do get comments on it and people saying, you know, that's so lame or so dated or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, I wrote it. <laughs> you're like, hey, yeah. all right, put up your dukes. <laughs> no, but I mean, you do have to be, you do have to be in, well, after 250 videos too, I'm almost like, I'm almost ready to change it because I'm ready to move on to something different. Space age. I love space age bachelor pad music. So I'm thinking of like going nice. to that kind of genre, but, um, 
Yeah, I think you're totally right. I was actually just having a, a, a Zoom with my, um, my administrative assistant in the Philippines just before we got on this podcast. And she, while we were talking, she got an alert from what is the Amazon in the Philippines. I forget the name of the company, but it's like the Philippines version of Amazon, of Amazon. And when you get an alert from them, it's like this little, it's this little bingy hello sound. And when it came on, she goes, oh, sorry about that. And she was muting her phone. She goes, that's like, that's the Amazon. And you know, they have chosen that sound and to have it be an alert sound. And it happens obviously at the level of Amazon popularity in the Philippines. So everybody knows what that sound is. When anybody's yeah. phone makes it, they know what it is. It's like the Intel inside, you know, boom, 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 boom. Like everyone knows what that sound is. Yeah, or the, or the McDonald's whistle. Everyone knows the McDonald's whistle. I don't know the do McDonald's with it. What do, is the, do you no. not have them? Um, okay, I'm going to do it. Let's hope we don't do get it. copyrighted. So it's the... We don't have a whistle. You, with you don't have, we have them. Okay, that's a no. British thing. I wow. thought it was international. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to check that out. That's really weird. Yeah. All right, we've discovered something. Some that is anomal- interesting. Some like- anomaly in the biggest brand in the world. We're going to have to explore. <laughs> now, chances are, many of you listening might have first come across me via my YouTube channel. Building my presence on YouTube has done more to build my personal brand than any other platform. So I want to share with you the one resource that was critical in growing my channel. It's a YouTube plugin called TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is a freemium browser extension that you use to manage and optimize your YouTube channel videos. It saves a massive amount of time doing the mundane tasks like adding cards and managing your video descriptions. But it also provides incredible value through its video analytics, showing you data about your competitors' videos that's absolutely invisible without it. It also helps with adding metadata to your videos so they show up better in search. If you want to take your YouTube work to the next level, you have to get TubeBuddy. You can support this podcast by signing up through our affiliate link. Just go to TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen. It's easy to remember. Just type in TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen to check it out. By adding TubeBuddy to your video workflow, I guarantee you your channel will grow much, much faster. Just go to TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen and sign up for TubeBuddy today. One of the things that frustrates me about digital entrepreneurs is that we always do put, apart from bloopers, our best face forward, right? It's a pretty architected personal brand experience. And you want to put your best foot forward, look like you got your dookie together, right? But (laughs) not everybody does. I don't all the time. You don't all the time. What kind of, so I try to ask people about like, what kind of struggles have you had? What, where have, has there been a point where it wasn't so smooth or so profitable or so easy? Like, what have you come up against in your journey in building your own thing that you would want to maybe call out to people as, as uh, something to, um, to acknowledge or pay attention to? Sure. Well, I think it's, it's almost synonymous with being a creative, but I've had anxiety and depression my whole adult life. I think a lot of creatives as highly emotional people are more susceptible to that. And I think it's really important that we talk about that more and more. It's no longer this stigma, like someone in the family's just got a bit of a bad mood. Sometimes it is actually a medical 
thing. And I, I'm very open. I've been through a few different phases of therapy. But when I've hit burnout, my depression in particular has kicked off a lot. So the other thing that is part of that very foul sandwich is that I am very used to burning out. So when I burn out, I lose my voice straight away. I get a really mm. bad throat infection. It's just something that I know if I'm going a little bit croaky, I'm burning the candle at both ends. But I've got to the point with that where I've been in hospital. I developed sudden um, onset asthma a couple of years into running my business. So I now have asthma for the rest of my life. It's under control, but I think not listening to your body or putting your health first. So this is something that is really interesting. It's specifically to me in the creative world. So whenever you go and, um, you know, developing my photography career, I remember doing this summer internship with a big fashion photographer in London and the whole attitude and the whole culture of being in that world was, yeah, we work 20 hours, like have a diet Coke and suck it up or, you know, have something stronger if you need to, but that's the way it is. And you, your family, your friends, your health, all of that is secondary because we're on this really important shoot right now. And, you know, this brand needs their winter coats photographed. Like it was just, it's ridiculous. Or, the, or like in order to, like the way that it worked. So in, in, that, in that particular assignment, if you could be seen to be putting in the hustle so that meant like going to the shop and getting a whole set of crates of um, sodas to keep the fridge full or going around and taking coffee orders or making sure that that particular photographer had his very particular preferred bottle of wine in rich supply in case he was going to show up that day in stock. You had to do all of these menial tasks, but with a really happy heart and a really positive attitude in order to maybe one day be asked to hold a reflector. Like the only way you were going to get on the actual set and maybe be slightly involved in the photo shoot is to kill yourself and work really hard. So there is something, it's the same though. Like if you want to get a job as a tattoo artist, it's the same thing. You've got to go and work really hard. You've got to sweep floors and fill up other people, other tattoo artists ink because you've got to earn your stripes. And I'm all about, like, I understand that there's, there are levels of respect that need to be adhered to. And these things in some cases have happened for hundreds of years. And I do respect that. But there is another element here, and I don't know if the 80s are to blame for that, but we don't need to kill ourselves. You don't need to like break your back sweeping a floor. Sweep the floor for a few hours, and then let's have a conversation about you maybe sharpening the pencils. <laughs> you know, it, there's something that's not well with this world. And I think because a lot of us who operate in this world are highly emotional and a lot more susceptible to certain mental health things that would encourage a physical health burnout we need to change that now i think now, it, it, when you yeah. were talking though i kept thinking i kept thinking about you know it's the dues paying thing right and when you have when you're a little further on in your career and you have paid those dues and you're starting to feel a little more secure in what you know and what you can offer people it's, it's easier to look back and go, oh, wow, those early years, that's what I was doing, right? I was putting in the crazy long hours and doing the all-nighters in the office and, and uh, you know, making the copies and doing the production artwork or whatever it was that was not the glamorous thing. And, um, it's, and it's easy to forget about that. But one of the things that I was thinking about when you're talking about it is that 
it also goes for content development. When people say, oh, I'm going to go on Instagram or I'm going to start a YouTube channel, they think about going viral or they think about overnight <laughs> yeah. success. And you were saying at the very beginning of this podcast that you know, YouTube channel development is a long game. Like you got to put in hours, 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 hundreds of videos to get any kind of traction. And so even though, you know, you're, we're farther on in our careers, sometimes when you're going to a new channel or a new content platform, you have to do the Zen beginner's mind, right? You have to take a beginner's mindset again and know that you're going to have to pay some serious long dues before you're going to ever see any return from it. And that's one of those yes. things that I think that a lot of people don't realize um, is that is what a long game it is. And while you have to you have to what I like to say is you have to you go through the, you know, the 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 ghosting years, you know, it's like when you're putting stuff in, you're putting stuff up and you're just talking to an empty room, you know. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, very hard. Yeah. And so how long has your Mwah TV been going? How long have you been going with YouTube? I, I've, I've had YouTube for years, but in, in, I don't count that. I, I yeah. think the consistency factor is important. So yeah. I was putting client testimonials on there in like 2016, but that may be like once every other month. So that to me doesn't count. Right. I got serious about putting out an episode every week in May 2019. And I did that for just over a year. And then lockdown happened and I freaked out a little bit thinking, I can't put any content out. What am I going to do? And then I got back into it after the summer of last year. So we're probably hitting another year of consistent content creation with maybe like a two month gap in between. And my YouTube strategist tells me this is a huge factor. Like if I, if only I had just put out eight more episodes in those eight weeks, we probably would be a lot further ahead. But I now I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm now saying, you know, okay, if it takes a little longer and it makes the business a lot more profitable, let, like I said, we're going to kick it down to every other week, repurpose it even more, which might increase watch time per episode. So it really is, it's a numbers thing. And I tell you one thing I've been trying to find, and I've been in a lot of different groups about this, is forecasting. There is no amazing forecasting tool on predicting um, viral or significant success on YouTube. And I know, I know it's a, it's a whole different set of, um, numbers involved and what exactly are you tracking? Um, but I still think there is some, there is a big demand there where you could put in all of the details of your channel and figure out what exactly, how, what you're going to measure success on, whether that's being monetized or getting to a certain amount of watch time. And then this clever algorithm could figure that out for you. But that's something that I'm investigating right now. And I'm happy, you know, if I, if I after doing the number crunching, I figure out it's going to take another four years, then fine, it's going to take another four years. We'll crack on, make it really good, cover absolutely every subject we can. And that's just part of what we do on a weekly basis. But yeah, you need I, to have a long-term plan in place. You do. And you need to, as you said, look at your analytics and and pay attention to where you get traction and and yeah. amplify wherever that is. Because at the beginning, everyone's you know spitballing and seeing what sticks to the wall. And when you do discover something sticking to the wall, you go, oh, okay, I've got to do a little bit more of that. And if that works, then it clarifies. I mean, it takes time testing, 
It's just like marketing. It's just like advertising. It's like there is yeah. no magic bullet. There's no perfect algorithm. There's no exact one answer to advertising. You have to try a whole bunch of different stuff and then you see what gets traction and then you put more ad budget into that and you sunset the stuff that's not, you know? So yeah. what would, if you had any advice to, you know, digital entrepreneurs now who are just, maybe they're, they're coming off of a, a full-time job in a agency or in-house at a corporation, or they're starting to freelance and be a little more independent, what would you have them pay attention to? What's, what's one of those things on that maybe you want to make sure is on people's radar? I think, for, well, the first thing is definitely content creation. So I'm a huge advocate for that, as I know you are. And I would say, can it, what can you do to document what you do, even if you think what you do is incredibly and mm. incredibly dull and boring. Mm -hmm. How can you start documenting that? And just start documenting. You don't even have to post it on the internet. Just have a good go at documentation. There is a serious um, media factor, which I think you mentioned earlier on. We we are not only businesses who do services. We have to have a media element in our businesses these days. People want to know who they're buying from. They want to do, they want to have all the information that they could possibly ever need before they commit to buying. And the easiest way to um, deal with that as a business owner is through documentation. So documentation is important and get your mind around content creation. The subset from that is get creative with content creation. So take a look. What are all the other people in your industry doing in terms of content creation? And I'm willing to bet it's a pretty low bar. And then think about what can we do that's creative and unusual or unique to you as the person to make it a lot more um, attractive and easy to understand. Mm. I think we're going to have this second wave with content creation, and it's going to be about creative um, superiority. I think, you know, with TikTok um, and this immediacy of um, creating media, I think there's going to be like a renaissance of some kind within the digital um, wave where we're going to have increased creative superiority. I think that's something. And our role, Brandon, might go in that as well. Um, the other thing is to get realistic with your time. Like you're not, I remember when I set up my business, I thought, okay, if I'm not profitable in three years, I'm going to kick it to the curb and I'll just go and do something else. So my backup plan is to go and be a photography lecturer in a college because I know that it's like, it, it's one of the most demanding, like if you're teach. passionate about photography, yeah, it, those who can't teach. And also if you're teaching a bunch of belligerent teenagers who don't give a damn about the thing that you love most in the world, I imagine that's pretty gut-wrenching on a daily basis. <laughs> so that's like my plan B backup plan that I say to myself, if I'm having a rough week, well, I could be a photography lecturer. <sighs> so let's just suck it up and carry on. And, you know, I'm nine years down the road now and it's got to the point where, um, I think when you start picking up focus and getting traction with things, it's a little bit addictive. And, you know, you really find out who you are as a person in a deeper sense. So that that's the other, the third aspect is be open to adapt and modify what you're doing. You mm. can't these days say, like, like I said, I'm going to be a portrait photographer. It, like if that, I, it would, I would have failed after three years. It, it would have had to go in the can and I would have probably 
had to go and get a teaching qualification and go and, but I, I figured out, ah, there's something there that works or hang on a minute, that's not really working for me. What can we do to change? So being adaptable and resilient with your adaptability. So there's, there's my three things. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant advice. I totally agree. So I always ask my guests a final question when we wrap up the podcast. And that is, do you have a personal manifesto or a mantra that you try to live your life by? So the first time I was on your YouTube channel, I wasn't officially prepared for this question. And I may, I came up with some something that like my mum says to me. So I last night I studied for this, Philip. I studied <laughs> I, and I have found that I, I, I went through hundreds of mantras. So this is the one that I think really suits the um what we've just created here, this content we've created. And that is if you're not making mistakes, then you're not making decisions. Mm. I love that. Yeah. That's so true. Don't play it safe. Be happy to fail. Well, Laura Perman, it's so great to have her on your show. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us. So if people want to get in touch with you or to experience your YouTube channel, what's the best place to get in touch with you or see you? So if you're on YouTube and you want to come and check out the show, you need to search for Moi TV, which is M-W-A-H. TV. And if you want to connect with me anywhere on social, it's the same um, handle everywhere. I'm Laura P Creative. So come and have a chat with me. Thanks so much, Laura. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.